Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. We put everybody to work who comes here uh, and uh, we've asked him to uh, queue up some great songs for us. And this is the first of Alfred George Bailey's choices for today in our not quite um, Desert Island Discs um, uh, format. This is Looking Through the Windows from the Jackson 5. get rid of that feeling when you realize oh yeah the jackson five catalog is deep and beautiful you are listening to dock and roll radio i'm karen that's Anne marie i sometimes let her get a word in edgewise and we are super happy to have a very very special guest in the studio today alfred george bailey photographer filmmaker minor icon working his way up to major icon (laughs) will you take that (laughs) Welcome. I think I will. That's really kind of you. <laughs> now, for those of you who are just tuning in and have heard me mumble in my Canadian accent, Alfred, blah, 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 and you're thinking, who is that again? Well, of course, he is a London-based film director who started his creative journey as a photographer, specialising in reportage, music, portraiture, dance, and street photographer. He's also a former professional musician. I'm thinking, you're never a former musician. Anyway, uh, jazz drummer. He's worked with musicians for over 25 years. And if you're saying, how do I know that name again? Oh, yes. His debut film. Uh, how's this for a debut? Gregory Porter, Don't Forget Your Music. Um, that was his debut as director in cinematography. And his multi-award winning second feature film, Show Me the Picture, the story of Jim Marshall, about the life and times of the infamous music photographer who captured some of the most iconic musicians across many genres and pivotal moments in social history. Not all boomer time, but a lot of it. Um, so as a filmmaker or photographer, Alfred has a documentarian's eye. And that's what we're going to talk to him about. And um, thank you so much for coming in. No, thank you so much for having me. This is great. I feel um, um, probably unduly... Um, um, <laughs> this is lot, lots of praise, and I think well, it's really lovely. And thank you, you so much. you got a place in our heart, and you know why. Yeah, I, I, I just got to tell you, 2016, BFI, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's all warranted. I guess at the time when you made the Gregory Porter story, and, and it comes up in the film, not that many people knew about him. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's really funny because at that time, Gregory. When I met Gregory, he came over. I was introduced to Heather Taylor and through a friend of mine who was a DJ on. Uh, and isn't it funny when you think about it? His name escapes me. He's going to kill me. Um, 
he introduced me to Heather. I got introduced to Gregory, um, and he came over with his band for the first time, not just him as a solo artist. And I got to hear him on stage, and I was ah. it was quite an amazing thing because I was doing the sound check. I was at the sound check, mm -hmm. and I saw uh, you know all the members of the band. I didn't know anybody, and I got to know Gregory literally half an hour before, or maybe an hour before. Just say hi, how you doing? I'm going to be at the sound check. I was taking photos, and all of a sudden, the the sound engineer said, "Could you um, just check the mic, please, Gregory?" And Gregory goes, um, "You know, apologise. I just need to do this." And then he sang, and I was stood there, like as close as I'm to you. And then this voice came out, and I was like, wow. "This is wow!" You know, this incredible voice. You know, like the voice of the ages. It's like it's timeless. It's um, it has a resonance, and it has a. a there's a depth of feeling in his voice and a depth of emotion and um, all the things that he's been through in his life mm -hmm. came through and other people's lives. And I thought, this is, this is uh, remarkable. And then while they were doing more warm-ups, I had another camera, which is set up to film, and I started filming. Because there was never the intention to make a film originally. I was only meant to take some photos of Gregory and his band. And then I met up with Heather again, and then we talked about it and uh, not making a film, just capturing him and the journey because, you know, knowing that he would be somebody important. And then... Uh, so you already knew that. You already had that feeling. You can't hear a voice like that mm. and not know that somebody's going to turn into something quite remarkable. He's an incredible performer. The band are, you know, outstanding. And... Um, the first thing is, like, there was no budget, and I went, yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> how how many no times budget. has a creative person heard that one? This is brilliant. By the way, we've got a pound and a half. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Tuppence hate me, and uh, are you interested? And Well, at that time, you go with your gut, and I said mm. yes. Wow. And that's the thing to do. In It was a calculation knowing that we were working in between. I had not long left Apple, so there was some money floating around from a job. I used to work for Apple. And went on that journey for the first two years. It wasn't a serious undertaking as such as capturing. Then all of a sudden, it became really serious. And the last eighteen months, it turned into a whole film. And I have to shout out to uh, Norman Mary from Lip Sync because without him saying yes, because we went to see a few people and a lot of them said no, they're not interested. In... Why did they say no? They hadn't heard of him, or well, they... haven't heard of me as a filmmaker. Right. That's the thing. And. The two other people involved were not in the film industry at all. They're not in not in there. Right. So when you're, <laughs> I'd worked in the industry before as a camera assistant um, and a production assistant. So I know the industry uh, from the obviously the the other side of the camera. And um, I was the only one who had film experience as such. And when you go around to different post production houses, a lot of them just say, nah. and they didn't want to help finish the film you need that you need yeah. a post house to either try and do a production deal with you or you have a, um, a real producer on board who can raise the finance so we didn't have that but we went to see him and I remember in the meeting that he we were having this production meeting I was thinking this is going a bit far this guy who's doing this and there's another person who's doing that and and uh, I said so are we doing this and he went <laughs> what do you think we're here for <laughs> and he looked at me and went that was the the most beautiful wink I ever got. Wow. He looked at me and winked, and then he said, "Yeah, well, this is real." So you, your struggles kind of mirrored Gregory's in a way. That you know, trying to get this film out. It was trying to get it um, finished. Well, that actually happened quicker than I thought it would happen. Getting it uh, into post, 
it was a great set of circumstances and meeting people and then getting to know Norman, who was really... He's a friend of a lot of filmmakers in terms of ones who are up and coming, and I owe him a lot, literally, because he's post-house did the last one I did. Um, uh, okay. I Still Breathe. Yeah. Right. So, uh, well, what, what I wanted to say was, um, is it... Uh, is it a big leap to take <laughs> to say, I'm not doing a short, I'm not doing something for TV, I'm, I'm doing a feature documentary. That's a, that's a whole other level of commitment in terms of time and uh, in terms of who you need to be involved. Like the first one, is it just insane optimism that makes people do number one? <laughs> or the story is so great you can't let it go? Yes, I'm going to be committed, yeah. Insane optimism. <laughs> do you know what it's like? I, I think when it's like the naivety of a child you just do it and not know what the actual hard road what the process is going to be and I think at the time through necessity I was the cameraman sound recorders interviewer <laughs> produced tracks for the soundtrack did stills and was in on the edit or in the editor Dan Setford he was great uh, on that and just meeting all these people and just you know it coming together but um you just have to believe, and I didn't have that th that mm, that life experience in the film industry on the other side, being a director and trying to struggle to get something finished. So, you know, you just kind of work at it and just see how it goes. Some people think that you're being silly and crazy. What are you doing this for? This is crazy, you know. But then you think uh, you're on a journey, and I had a point to prove in a way that I I wanted to you know create something special. I think the film is special for a debut. I think so. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think a few other people yeah. might, might concur with you. <laughs> the 900 people at that screening at the VFI. Yeah, yeah, we sold start. it out twice. Yeah. I couldn't, yeah. That was... Um, I have to surprised? mention that, yeah, yeah. it was like a, um, an out-of-body experience. And you, <laughs> I used to go and watch people like Alan and Scorsese and all that, doing talks and mm. showing films and going... Yeah, you know, that's I'd never for be them up there. to say. Yeah, it's really great watching them from the, I wonder what it'd be like to be up on stage and to, to, to look out into the audience, you know. Never believing it would actually happen. So, you know, you you never really think it, you, you hope it'll happen. And then sitting there, Robert Elms is there who I, I who know. I know. <laughs> and I got to meet Robert. I mean I met yeah. Robert before, but he yeah. Robert was great to, to, to be involved in that and then Gregory came late as he usually he did a big grand entrance, which was fantastic. But it was just a lot of love in a room and there were people there from my present past, different eras that I've worked in, and it was really an emotional experience for me sitting there thinking it did feel very weird. And I couldn't watch the film. No. Right. I had to go to the green room and uh, Stuart Brown, who was the head steward, that's right, Stuart, Stuart he's been me, so supportive. Come here, Alfred. <laughs> he took me into the green room, and there was a bar area in the green room, as you know, and it was already laid out for everybody to come after the after the screening. He said, "Sit down," and he, he poured me a large glass of red wine, and he said to me, "Your debut film at the BFI, tick." He goes, "Sold out twice, tick." He said, "You should be proud of yourself." And yeah, it was very strange. And uh, oh, my belly was doing somersaults, you know, thinking, will the audience like it? Will they even get it? Will they laugh at the places? Will they be quiet and poignant at the places that you know when you're in the edit? You think, this is the place I know I want people to be concentrated at because one of the things people may or may not know, I know this may sound obvious, that everything really is up to the edit. Once you've got all the material mm -hmm. together, it's like, 
It's like cooking. You have all the ingredients, but if you, you can make a bad meal with fantastic ingredients. So when you're with an editor who who knows what they're doing, and I've worked with a couple, especially the last one, Adam Biskupski, he was a fantastic editor, and um, I owe him a lot because he did a job of work on showing me the picture. But um, the funny thing is you have an idea of how the story's going to go, but then something happens in the edit when you get all the material there and you get it all together and you think, oh my God, the story's going this way. And when more things reveal themselves and you look at archive material and you look at this and then all of a sudden someone says, oh, I found this piece of audio. Mm. This is what happened with Jim Marshall as well. Right, yeah. Well, w one thing I wanted to ask, and again, I think back to that, that Dock and Roll Gala um, screening, what a way to kick off the 2016 year. And yes, I remember Stuart pouring you a glass of wine. I was hanging out in the green room there. Now, now um, obviously, Gregory Porter's fans, anyone who's heard his voice and been moved by it, um, I think he holds a place in their hearts that's really unique now yeah. you've got responsibility as a filmmaker to tell a story to tell a story with understanding but to people for whom he is so special maybe they don't even want to know his backstory um you know what about that responsibility there, there's one thing if you're digging up a story that people don't know about and often doc and roll succeeds in that in in yeah. presenting mm -hmm. films about scenes or or artists that we don't know anything about but those people who are in the room, obviously many of them would have known your name and your, your record as a photographer and as a creative, but there were a lot of people there who were there because of Gregory Porter. Yeah. How do you know, how do you deal with the fact that, you know, they might actually not like it at all? That's a great question. Um, and I think it's uh, one of those questions that you just got to trust that what you're doing and what you've done, you've done it with the right intention. You made the film, you made the album, you've made the sculpture, you've done a painting. See what I mean? You've yeah. written mm -hmm. the book, and you've done it from here, from your heart, and from a, um, the truest part of yourself, and being honest. And once you've done that, you've got to, like a child, you've got to let it out in the world, and then whatever happens, happens. You're not going to please everybody. There'll be people who won't like what you do, and there'll be people who really love what you do. You just hope that what you're trying to say, so you know, many people will get, and you know, people will be like, "Yeah, I understand where this film's coming from, and I can relate to that story in the film or in the book." How did you know that this film had reached those people? I mean, aside from the fact that they all bought tickets and they didn't run out in the middle, but you know, is there anything? Is there no, a social media post? The is there a the is yeah? Is there a review? Was there something that a member of the audience told you? Or yeah, that's a really good. Um, so we had a second screening at the Barbican, which was really great as well, and um, there was a. I'm going to cut to the chase. So we we the film was shown. It was really fantastic. The audience response was great, and then there was this guy I was talking to some friends in you know that, that reception area of the Barbican and there was this guy hanging around and I saw him and I said to my friends look this, this guy needs, hey, I just need to speak they said yeah yeah so I said I've seen you hanging around I said um, can I help you he goes yeah yeah um, I came to your first screening and I um, I really loved it I said thank you so much and then he says oh, I wanted to tell you something so uh, that's why I came to this one he said a couple of days after I um, saw your film. I hadn't spoken to my father in 15 years. So after that screening, I called him. 
because Gregory had a... Um, if you know in the film, mm. Gregory's mother is venerated, and, and rightly so. But the one thing I wanted to do was... <laughs> I had to ask him about his dad. And then you saw that whole journey and how the fact that he had to... Gregory had to forgive his father for the slights, the wrongdoings, and the things he said before he died. You know, that when Gregory says, I'm going to be singing, and his father says, there's, got, there's a lot of great singers out there. What a thing to tell a son mm. before you die and to leave him with that. So that can either cripple somebody creatively and personally and emotionally and mentally, or you take that and you think, okay. It's a bit like John McEnroe. He's one of the most cleverest, he's an artist in the tennis field. Mm. He takes negative energy and turns it positive. And that's what Gregory did and knew that, you know, and he, even with all the fear of, there is a lot of great singers. America has a glut, and Canada, have, has a lot of great um, artists. And you think, you know, the, how can I be as good as this or better than, or just oh, I, wanna, I want my voice to be heard. And you have to believe in that. And he, he did. So that gentleman telling me that and I said to him thank you so much it really touched me and I did get emotional I said I've done my job yeah if one person can tell you something like that and you know that's on a deep emotional level he came twice he had to come to the next thing to tell me to let me know this is what happened that he reconnected with a father that he had obviously they had fallen out oh my god I think both of these films make a really intimate connection and there's an interesting parallel with Jim Marshall as well in that, that the father is missing and a lot of his personality oh. Adam and I, <laughs> we said a lot of daddy issues in our films. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, we're, for, for those of you who've just joined us, we have Alfred George Bailey in the studio. You're listening to Doc and Roll Radio on Soho Radio. And we've just finished hearing about yeah a film that had me bawling quietly in the standing room area at the BFI. But um, your second film, I, I, I mean, to be honest, I didn't expect... I knew your second film was going to be good but uh, I didn't realise it would have the emotional power of, uh, of Show Me the Picture, the story of Jim Marshall, who we all know these photos. Yeah. Johnny Cash with his finger at the camera. Jimi Hendrix setting his guitar on fire. A million boomer classics, Woodstock, all kinds of other stuff. Bob Dylan, all that stuff. But, man, what a story. How did you come to the Jim Marshall story? So... Um, one day I was sitting in front of my computer and I got an email from uh, Jason Hewitt, who is the uh, head of Leica UK, because Leica support me. I wouldn't like to use the word ambassador, but yes, they, they've been, since the Gregory Porter film, they've given me cameras to use which were not released and stuff like that. So they've been brilliant and I have a wonderful relationship with Leica. So he says... You uh, make them look good, by the way, I'm just saying. <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> um, so he said, he said, what are you doing on Thursday? I wrote back, uh, I think I'm free. He goes, and he sent me the invite. And I thought, yeah, I know Jim Marshall's work, rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And it said jazz festivals. I was like, what? So I said, yeah, I'm coming. So I said, okay. And then I get the invite. And then I remember they used to be in Mayfair. They've moved, um, the actual store in the gallery have moved um, not far from here. And I remember there's a stairway up to the, the, the where they do the, they have exhibitions at the, at the Leica store. And the first thing that hit me was a picture of, uh, I think it was over Miles Davis. No, it was John Coltrane. I went, okay. you've got to be kidding. He had time to do this. 
<laughs> I thought he only did rock and roll and, and folk festivals and, yeah. and, you know. And then I look along and then there's Cannonball Adley, Miles Davis, blah, blah, blah. It, uh, it, it just went on and on and on. Um, Mingus, it was just, these photos were unbelievable. They were incredible. And the framing, very cinematic frame of mm. Jim Marshall. And he's one of the few people who... He understood the tool he was using, the camera, the Leica, because it's um, it's a rangefinder, and for some people it's a very difficult camera to use a rangefinder, the way it focuses. But he understood mechanically how the camera worked, and then the rest was just literally him. And you have to remember, he shot with no flash. Mm. And self-taught as well. Self-taught. Yeah, self-taught. Um, so I was blown away, and it was for the book launch in the UK of uh, Jim Marshall Jazz Festivals. Amelia Davis, who was Jim's assistant, mm-hmm. and life, well, she was, without her, this film His would never rock. be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, incredible. Yeah, Amelia is just incredible. So Jason introduced, he goes, he's done a great film about Gregory Porter. So she goes, oh, hi, Alfred. She goes, I love his voice. And we got talking. We literally were just chatting, and then she had to give a speech. I said, look, she broke off, did it, and we came back. She goes, I'd love to see your film. So I made sure she saw it, and then... She says, we're going on tour still with a book. We've got to go to Europe and then back to the States. But she goes, um, once that's all done, I'll be in touch. About two weeks. And to her word, two weeks later, she sent me a message. She goes, I don't know if you're interested. <laughs> oh, wow. But we've been Famous trying to make a... And it was like, you've got to be kidding me. I don't... <laughs> I've got that email still to this day and it makes me laugh still. I don't know if you're interested. We've been trying to make this film about Jim Marshall. We've had a few... They had a few... It wasn't Last Chance Saloon, but I think it would have been... If it hadn't been made then, I think it would have been another while before it got made. And judging by what's been happening in the world, as you know... You know, anyway, um, we wrote back, then we did our first uh, FaceTime video call, and it was wonderful. And then, (laughs) literally, the second week, she says, well, you know, it took me about a couple of months to realise that she, she was happy with me and wanted me to direct the film. And I'm not, and sorry, you, were say. you, you got a wink, yeah. <laughs> the equivalent of a wink that you got with the first one. Like, gotta, yes, dude, that's why we're talking to you. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got, I got a wink, and then Amina and I just got on like a house on fire. And then the universe is a really funny place, and I have to give an amazing shout out to the Soho Theatre, Kelly Fogarty, just all you guys, yeah, all yeah, you guys yeah. have been. It was my unofficial office for years, and everything I created started there. Well, you just hung uh, out, ordered just, another coffee. They, do you know they've got all the bur- the bays? <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. I used to have the one back closest to the bar, and I could see the whole room. And it was like, it was great when you're writing stuff. And I used to be in there writing and cre- and then have meetings there. And they said we can have a blue plaque with your name. Yeah. <laughs> You can't sit in this booth. It's, <laughs> it's, it's reserved permanently. <laughs> but um, they. <laughs> They've just been really wonderful and supportive and they've introduced me to some great people and it's great just to hang out there and I love being there and that's why I was so not mentioning what's happened recently but um, that's why it's so devastating. I love have, being around people, creatives, even if you don't talk to them, just having to know you're in an area like mm. this and to know that people are walking past and then you have your meetings there and it was just such a lovely buzz and there's all the young people coming in and then all the you know all the, the seasoned actors you see so many people and sometimes it was dead quiet in the winter and I love that in the mornings you're there and it'll take a while for it to warm up but even that had its it has its thing so yeah you know they have been 
amazing in terms of all the creativity so yeah that's one of the places where i am getting to the point i was there one day <laughs> i'm going off you were there one day in your chair and all of a sudden i just said to the universe you know what? i really need a, pr a proper producer for this this is we can't mess around here so a friend of mine calls me and he says um i've just sent you an invite or something and uh and i was like okay and it was one evening and it was Spike Lee gave a little private, um, I think it was before his 60th, I can't remember, and he was showing stuff that he was working on. And he gave a talk, it was fantastic. So at the end, you couldn't queue up, and he was doing these moleskin, she's got to have it books. Yeah. Got to pay for them. Did you get one? Yeah, yeah of course I did. <laughs> good, good. So I was queuing, and my friend was at the bar, and or oh, he was sitting waiting, we were going to go for something to eat afterwards, and I said, oh, I'm going to queue up and get one. And I queued up, and then the woman behind me, the woman uh, in front of me goes, oh, my God, the card machine isn't working. So I was like, what? And then I'd already bought my friend a drink. I didn't have any, any I was short. Some, the lady behind me says, oh, I've got some money. She goes, well, do you, um, how much do you need? I said, I think I need a 10 quid. She goes, okay. So I said, look, for that, go ahead of me. So she went ahead, and da, 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 he signs the books. I get to meet Spike. Da, hey, da, yes. da. And she's going off in the distance. I thought, I've got to thank her and give her her money back. I said, look, don't run off. And she, she just went. You know this, um, the picture house? In, it's got a big... So I catch us at the top. We're talking. And I said, look, I, you know, we're laughing. And so I said, uh, she said, uh, what do you do? I said, I'm a film director. I said, what do you do? She goes, I'm a producer. Oh, it was meant to be. And then, you're not... This is... <laughs> This is why the world and life can be really beautiful. At the bottom of the stairs is a group of young people. And one of them turned and go, oh my God, it's the director of uh, Show Me The Picture. Oh. And I went to, I didn't, this isn't a fix. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't know that was going to happen. And I went, she went, I'd like, you know, and then we got, gave her the money, exchanged details, and then boom. Um, she goes, let's meet. And then we met up, and then she goes, right. So what's coming? What, what, what have you got coming up? She did her background checks and got to see the uh, got to see the film. And then she went, and I told her about the gym. She goes, right. So we just need to get some people around you. Super. So then it, it came from the almost like hand to mouth of Gregory Porter to now you're dealing with real serious people, or, you know, and you have a real team. And Tatiana Kelly, the producer, I remember moving forward very quickly, had a, we were at Molinaire, we did a post-production there, thanks Molinaire, they were amazing as well. And um, <laughs> it was really funny, I remember I came from Germany, seen Leica, and I got early, and, and the joke was I got there before some people's meetings, I came all the way from Munich. <laughs> and I was sitting there, it was like 10 in the morning, and I sat there and I kind of was frozen, all these people in the room, and Tatiana whispered in my ear, they're all here for you. Wow. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Because <laughs> I did. I had a you know, deer, um, deer in the headlights moment. I mm. was thinking, oh, my God, there's the head of DI. There's the head of this. There's the head of this part of the department. There's this. There's... And you're around, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an imposter. I shouldn't really be here. <laughs> well, with all that talk of the world working for you, we're going to hear your next track, which is uh, That's the Way of the World by Earth, Wind and Fire. It's like an anthem to me, that song. Yeah.
You are listening to the Dock and Roll Takeover on Soho Radio, and we are delighted to have um, Super uh, Film Director George, Alfred George Bailey. Um, we've been talking to him about the Gregory Porter, Don't Forget Your Music documentary, and um, the phenomenal show, the, Me the Picture, The Life of um, Jim Marshall. Talk about a follow up. So, uh, during, during the break, when we were listening to Steely Dan, as we were, that was Babylon Sisters, and before that, Earth, Wind and Fire, that's the way of the world. Yes, he's not only a great photographer and a pretty decent filmmaker, but when you ask him to come up with some tracks, he gives you, he gives you a damn fine playlist. So, you're a photographer, you know a thing or two about still photos. Yeah, um, apparently. And uh, <laughs> Jim Marshall, that, that was his end of things too. Uh, I would have thought that a film about a photographer by a photographer would answer a lot of questions for us. I don't mean f-stops, but I mean yeah. that would focus on the practice and what made him technically a great photographer. This isn't really a film about that, is it? No. Do you know what's really funny? You saying that is that's one of the one of the critics, and I think it's Variety gave it a really great score and loved the film, but thought we were holding out. What on the and secrets I, of photography? And, uh, <laughs> I remember uh, Amelia was really upset. And then uh, Ian Arbor, who is the composer who did an amazing score, that was done in Budapest with a 32-piece orchestra. Oh and the God. film has pretty much nearly 90% score. Mm. We're going to hear some of that later. Yeah. 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 But anyway, going back to that, mm. the, what he wrote, I understand what he wrote, but <laughs> it's almost like trying to ask a question... Um, how does the universe work? None of us really know. You don't know. We think we know. We don't know. Um, sometimes people are given gifts and you just got to go with those gifts. And, and Jim was blessed with that gift and picking up the camera, understanding his equipment and being able to shoot. Mm. And there is no secret sauce. He just knew how to do it. Um, so... Yeah. I mean, he addresses that in the film, in some of the footage, where he he's does. saying people think anybody can pick up a camera and take a picture. Um, it was just because I was there, but I've spent my whole life learning how to take that Exactly, and that whole line about, you know, his um, pictures being his children, which is true. Mm -hmm. I think he would have been a terrible dad. <laughs> but, um, he was a good dad to those children. He, those children, yeah. his yeah. pictures, they looked after him, and they are, you know... And I, I did a Q and A um, with Amelia. I remember in um, San Francisco and we at the film festival, which was very scary. And I'll tell you why because his old cronies turned up. Oh my God! Uh. So they're sitting there with their arms crossed. <laughs> and going, well, I met right. them before, and Amelia introduced me to all these big names, and they came, and they were like, "So you're the director, huh?" And I went, um, "Yeah." They went, "Okay, okay." And so, and Amelia goes, "Don't mind him. He's just a yeah. You know, don't worry about this guy, and don't worry about." It. And some of them were really nice. One or two of them were a little bit sceptical, thinking, you know, you're making a Who's film this about British my friend. Guy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't remember you knowing Jim. And afterwards, a guy came to me and he was in tears. And he goes, Oh my God, you brought Jim back. You oh, brought him back. Oh, and he went, What's an all? He goes, You didn't, you didn't hide anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I thought, Oh, thank you. Because, you know, and he says, I don't remember you. He goes, When did you? I said, I never met Jim. Amazing, right? About and I thought that was another <laughs> thing. I thought, Well, thank you so much. Because some of them thought, Well, I don't remember when you met Jim. I said, No, I never wow. did. Did you say you were a bit young for Woodstock? Just a tad. <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you know. what about the other contributors? Because there's a fine array of them. How did you manage to get you know, Van Morrison, Peter Frampton, Michael Douglas, all these people to talk to talk about Jim? Well, Van Morrison's from the, the Gregory film, oh, and that, right. was, yeah, through, yeah, that yeah. was through. Yeah. Because, Speaking of funny, challenges. Funnily yes. enough, he <laughs> was a really super fan of Gregory, so that's how we got him. Right. You know, But... 
Michael Douglas knew Jim, as you know, in the film. He really... Streets he of was San a, Francisco. Yeah, really and he got but... to know Jim back in the day when he first came there, and they were a kindred spirits. So yeah. they... He said he was a good guy to pal around with and hang out, and Jim was very much, you know, <laughs> I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And that hole, as, the, as one guy described it, not in the film, we didn't use no. that cut, but he said he's got this gruff blowback and you think it's all anger, but it wasn't. It was just masking a mm. sensitive, uh, tender heart. And, um, yeah, to get those people on, Amelia, they all loved his work. So we did a list of the people who would be um, suitable to be interviewed and available, and uh, some we couldn't get everybody due to schedule, and you can't have everybody. Some hit the cutting room floor because of when you watched it back, it was it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, we really got, I think we got the right people. I think my, uh, Michael's interview was really great to see him not being Michael Douglas, I think. You just saw him as a friend of Jim Marshall. Yeah, very much. And uh, I think we spoke, <laughs> you know, while the music was playing, and I said that um, when Adam and I were in the edit room, <laughs> he looked at me, we were looking for the rushes. He was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And he looked at me and said, oh. And they have a term for that in the in the film industry. It's called killing your babies. Right, yeah. So yeah. You, um, have to, you have to say... That's great, but this is great. Bit. But then it turns into Michael Douglas's film, and you can't because he, he did reveal a lot about his grandfather and and Kirk Douglas, right. and how his dad was quite unkind and didn't care about his career and was like thinking, you know, he didn't understand it coming from Eastern Europe, yeah, Eastern right. European Jew, da 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 da, the whole thing, and he was like a rag and bone man as well. So it's fair to say father issues have cropped up in your two award-winning feature-length yes, uh, documentaries. Daddy <laughs> issues all around. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, you mentioned Amelia. We're talking about Amelia Davis, who yes, was, um, uh, you know, uh, obviously um, she was Jim Marshall's rock uh, through th for many years in his Absolutely. career, worked with him as his assistant, but assistant doesn't really cover it. Mm. Um, sh she's the person to whom he left his body of work. Yeah. We hear a lot in the film from her. I mean, some of the best insights, I think, come from her. She's a pretty wise woman, right? She was wise, and she realised that we're dealing with somebody. If Jim wasn't looked after, his work would have been snapped up by... And I don't mean a disparaging about these companies like Getty or Corbis mm -hmm. and that. Mm -hmm. And then it would be basically used on everything, mm. you know? And he's got... So, in Jim's life, he took... We calculate 1.2 million still frames... Oh my god, that was the black and white. Though, that's just right? black just and white. So color is another three hundred, two hundred thousand. Wow. So um, that was good research. <laughs> 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 so um, you know when and when <laughs> Tatiana and I we first went out to we were only going out to meet them and just do a recce and find out who we we're going to interview. But I had all the gear with me to film. Never intending on actually doing the interviews then, but coming back again and doing all the interviews once we didn't work out that way f fantastically we went to the archive where they keep Jim's stuff because she inherited everything of Jim's not just his work his clothing he left ev all of his worldly possessions which means everything right. and we went to the archive and there's this lovely room where all of the the frames are in these amazingly drawn uh, indexed and and I bent down and there was a little bit of um, Jim would write on a bit of you know masking tape and mm. these letters and I opened the drawer and I lifted it up and I went and I, did, and I remember I went you've got to be kidding me I saw Maurice White 
Philip Bailey, Lewis Satterfield. Uh. <laughs> and I, and I looked at that one and I saw the Phoenix horns and I went, he photographed a Live in 75 tour with Earth and a Fire. What the... F- yeah. How did he have time? And then I was, and, and then Amelia's partner, Benita, tells us, she goes, they, she, they used to call me AG. They said, hey, AG, are you freaking out? I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they laughed at me. I was having a freak out. <laughs> then I lifted up another one. And there's West Montgomery with all of his brothers, which is rare. Mm. They were down in uh, San Francisco Bay just shooting. Oh. And they said, oh, no, we don't. They, they know what they have, but they know. They don't know half of what they have. That sounds like a contradiction, but it's true. And they eventually, Jim's work needs to be um, endowed, which it probably will be to the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Right. Because you need a team of people to digitize mm. everything and go through Curators, it. Curators, archivists. Curate it, yep. archivist, yep. and put it in categories. The stuff with um, the stones. I mean, he was on the 72 tour. <laughs> You do know what Keith Richards said Fueled about him. By. What did Keith Richards say about him? <laughs> More coke than we did. <laughs> Collectively. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's a, I, I just wanted to say, there's, I mean, obviously, the, 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 we see in the film what, uh, you know, what, what kind of lifestyle he had. Really horrible, but, but for anyone, for, for any Vice fans out there who glamorise it, the yes. notes that Amelia shows us that yeah. he was writing when he would lock himself in his room and he would write the notes after he went on a drug spender. Yeah. And it's like, anyone thinks it's big, clever and cool mm. to be doing it, look at the handwriting that looked like Steadily. a child or, yeah, yeah, yeah go it, not cool. I, I was going to say the, the the Jim Marshall story, because of that, like, like sort of macho... Um, air around a lot of who he captured and the wow rock and roll hedonism um i could have expected a a really vice type treatment of it like his lines about guns and knives and being a tough guy and you haven't made that film have you no because Um, do you think anyone wanted that film i bet some people would have wanted it some people would have there is a story but i can't talk about it now. okay here we go (laughs) I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I will tell you off. off okay. Uh, All right, guys. Well, certain, certain characters <laughs> right. we thought we were going to make right. a certain film. And right, then right, we right. Were but like, that no. didn't interest you, I assume. No, not that at all. Kind of... If you're going to make a story about someone who took these pictures, I want to know the man or woman behind mm. any of the art that they do. Not. It's like Gregory. It's obvious he's an incredible singer, but I want to know about his past. Right, yeah. I don't want to know about him and him as a person and the things around him and how he got to be where he is. Jim Marshall is exactly the same. Um, this is why this film for me really worked in terms of working with an editor who understood, working with a music supervisor, produced, all of us. We The one thing we wanted to tell, the story of this man who just happened to take these some of the most iconic photos of all time, which he did, and capture all these people because you can't take those pictures and be with Janis Joplin when mm. she's like hanging out and she trusted him. Yeah. Um, that's the thing about the film. Trust. It's about trust. Yeah, it's about that trust. it has to do yeah. with how people felt about It's all about, about trust and the fact that... <laughs> it's like now. You, and I'm going to say this, and I don't care what people think. I mean, unless you have the access, as, as Anton Corbin, who was actually a mm. love artist. I love yeah, Anton. yeah. Anton's a darling. Yeah. And he's he's been he's such a sweetie with me. He like, likes stuff of mine on Instagram. He's, he's been a real... <laughs> You know, and I write Anton to him Gordon occasionally. No, I know, and I write to him occasionally just for <laughs> yeah. some advice about stuff, and he's so giving. He was He knows a bit about it. photos, I hear. <laughs> he, he's taken one or two pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah not bad. <laughs> 
But Anton loved Jim, and, and, and he did that, that saying in the film, without the access, he doesn't get the picture, and Jim had that, and he had to trust. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's that... He was, I think, he was described as a photographic zealot by somebody when right. we got the Grierson Award for the ah, film. Yeah. Oh, it was um, who presented the award. And did, uh, what's his face? Anyway. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm just saying, Alfred George Bailey, our guest in the studio, has not bothered to mention just how many awards his films have, have got. So you can Google it if you want to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice to say. It's a groaning mantelpiece at home. <laughs> Will be maybe, <laughs> will be at some point. But um, thank you. But uh, the thing is, is that um, Jim. It was, you know, that film is a journey for me as a creative person and knowing, getting to know him. And you, when you go into it, it does affect you. Hmm. And it made me look at myself and what I was doing. It actually changed my photography in a way again. Okay, and I found yeah, that my my that. photographic work, and I, then Amelia said something to me, and she did. I remember what she said. She goes, she goes, Jim would have really loved your work, you know, and because no. she wanted to see my work. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I sent her oh. the stuff, and I've been photographing Soho for the last twenty years, and I do a thing called Soho Portraits, where I'd stop like that gentleman there and think, <laughs> oh, I love his face, <laughs> and go, and I don't give people time to pose. Right. And I don't want photo face. And then I do. They said, "No, no." I said, "Yeah, yeah." Dun, 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 dun. Some people say no, but it's very rare I've had a no. And when people see you around, so and I always have a lycra. Not at the moment. I've always had a lycra slung around my neck, like Jim did. So much, yeah. You've got like to Jim. be ready to take photos. Mm. You've got to be ready for that moment. And what I wanted to say, which I think some people may hate, that a lot of stuff now that looks like Jim's photos is incredibly staged, and you can mm. see it. You can mm. see it in their eyes. It's. Yeah. I call it like designer dirt or designer kind of like ruggedness and it looks too polished it doesn't look real jim photographed in that moment and he was able to to get the trust of people and he became invisible i mean as it says miles davis was not a guy that suffered fools but mm. he jim and him had a great relationship coltrane was like like the like the yoda of jazz you know and he was a very passive quiet man but you know as a giant on stage Again, got some of the most unbelievable pictures that look like Turner's, and you know, and they look beautiful. This is just the, the way that the colours were and, and how they were photographed. The feeling know? that there's nobody else in the room, like the Dwayne Allman <laughs> photos of him in the bathroom. The, Listen, the... that's the remarkable picture. It looks like a, the camera was set up there and then it's done on a remote, and it wasn't. Jim was there. He was there. But yeah. Dwayne was like, and him were like brothers, as, as you know in the film. He said, you know, there's one person when he died that did affect Jim badly. Yeah. It really affected him. Well, but it's not all about you know the, the rock and roll elements no. of the film as well. You, Jim's humanity really doesn't come across when you cover you know his campaigns on pe the peace symbol, um, staying with the coal mining family, going down to their the, trust. The, the, to the south. Yeah. His friends were really advising him not to go to the mm. south because. You know, Jim, as, as Michael Douglas said, you know, you know, he, he looked, looked Jewish. He, he and looked Jewish, and he was dark. A, he was quite swarthy yeah, looking, yeah. and, and also, the clan would have strung him up. But yeah. he says, "I don't care. I got my knife. I got my gun. I don't care." And he wanted to meet Mar Cheney, whose son was killed by the clan, and that inspired Mississippi Burning, yeah, that whole yes, incident yeah. with the, yeah. you know, the, the three freedom riders mm -hmm. who were killed. And Jim was there at the house when she got the news. That, that photo, photo of her was... just just staring out, and you think. What 
I mean, what, I don't know, how would you have, I mean, how could you have, I don't know, she, 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 she did definitely trusted Jim to mm. take that photo, but I mean, just to, that level of, um, to capture that moment, that's a real moment. And this is why I said this photojournalism, I think, or music photography went down a very boring road. The, you can do free shots and then you're out in the pit. So everybody mm. gets this photo from the bottom of somebody. I've left the stage, central stage, right of stage. First three yeah. songs, no flash. You're out. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, they're all the same. And I'm sorry if people think that I'm being horrible. I'm not. The self-harmony are nice but, and lovely, but you need to be at the sound checks. And I am fortunate being a musician, ex-musician, apparently not ex. I'm resting. You're never, you're never, 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 never resting. Never, never leave. Uh, that you, people invite you to sound checks, and you, that for me is where you see the nervousness before you go on stage. Mm. If people have had a little fight between each other, but they're making it up on stage, then you get to see that. And, you, and then when you're at the sound check and you're on stage with them and they're playing with each other and they laugh and they smile and, you know. And he caught those moments. Although we see that even during his career, things were, you know, Bill Graham throwing him up. I mean, I got to say, um, <laughs> promoter control, you can sort of see why it would come up when the photographer is chopping out lines on the side of the stage. <laughs> two, two of them are drinking champagne yeah. and they've got a special table to do it at, uh, um, you know. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, both both in terms of, of Jim Marshall's work yeah. and, and your own work, uh, as someone who photographs performers, there's something very thrilling about people with their game face on, with their war paint, with the face they've practiced in the mirror since they were kids, and they've sure. got their, their image, and that's exciting. Um, so I kind of feel like it's, it's, uh, it would be wrong to accuse them of not being authentic because that inauthenticity no. is... But so how do you catch... Yeah. How, do, how do you catch a, a performer who has spent a lot of time being on how do you catch them at a guileless moment then do you have to just fade into the background till till keith richards stops being keith richards and he's just a bit you know just sitting on the sofa or how do you do it i don't mean it in a negative sense and i mean and i know that sounds like i'm being flipping i'm not but what happened was there was too much control and as Mm. michael douglas said he goes the before the, the, the managers and the handlers go you know you're sweating you know your shirt doesn't look right the whole point is you're meant to be a performer yeah and I, what I'm saying is you need to allow more access to really seasoned, talented photographers to be on stage, pretty much, also, to capture those moments where they've got their war paint on, when you see the real, uh, and not just that whole pit photography nonsense. Right, right. And that's what I mean. Not, like, don't take pictures at all, no. But try and get in there so you get the authenticity, get the trust of the artist. Because, to be honest, the artist are the ones in charge, really, if they're smart. Hmm. Everybody around them, they're there because of the artists. Because if they're not making the big bucks, they're not going to get paid and blah, blah, blah. So if they say, well, I want this photographer to be on the side of the stage and I want him to do this and that, the handler shouldn't really, you know, you got to trust the people to give you authenticity. And, hmm. and, the, and, the, and the audience are not dumb. They'll know when they look at a picture that it's real. Yeah. And they'll know when it's staged. Because you can tell now, it's really yeah. obvious. There's a lot of buzz around the industry about authenticity, but actually delivering on it is, is quite a challenge. Thank you. And that happens a lot. So 
and I didn't, you know, that's what I meant. I didn't mean it in a, like, you know, no one should take a photo, like, you know, mm. that, cause that's nonsense. There are great photographers out there, outstanding ones. But I just wish the industry didn't suppress them mm. and they were able to have more access and to do real things, but people are too scared to reveal themselves. Mm. And I think that's a cultural thing throughout every genre of music and stuff. There's, you know, you want to look airbrushed beyond belief and that's not real. That's why I'd stopped doing fashion photographs because I thought, I don't like that. That's why I love Vogue Italia. At least they were doing photographs that were more edgy and more, they had a bit of dirt on them, yeah. to, put, you know, to, to, to use that term, and they're more artistic. When they become like, and they all look like, and I love photos like that when in this place where if it works artistically, but if you see it all the time, then it becomes like McDonald's. It gets really bland. Even in the same way as if every photo looked like Jurgen Teller, as they did at one point, you know, then uh, yeah, like with this hard flash, and then yeah. everybody could do it, and it yeah. was almost like it became. And I was like, "This is really boring." Yeah. What? Yeah, sorry, I mean, no, I, I no, no, no. Totally hear you. I mean, we could we could talk about these <laughs> first two films of yours for a long time. I definitely want to talk about mm. um, "I Still Breathe" um, and what projects you have coming up, but. Something you mentioned um, while we were listening to yeah. Steely Dan, which occurred to us as well. There's a lot of women in this film. How do you think that when you're talking to people, it's not just all the guys going, yeah, he had guns, he had knives, there he was with the stones. But a lot of what we get about him as a person is from the women you talk to. Was that a conscious decision or did they just turn up with the goods? Both. Um, I didn't want to make it kind of like a lad city or bloke, blokesville. And also, Jim was supported by a lot of women. It's just that's the, the truth. And they put up with his nonsense and they told him about himself. And he, he would, you know, he broke a lot of hearts also in terms of, you know, his personal relationships. Um, not a lot of hearts. I mean, one in particular that, you know. Yeah. You know his marriage and stuff. You the know, story it, of his wife Rebecca. I mean, there's that's that's yeah. not a, that's not airbrushed. <laughs> and there's stuff that we had to leave out because you know, legally she could still be a bit litigious to right. us, and we had a letter handwritten. And it was a shame because it really added more. And then in the edit, the lawyer said it's best that we just leave it out because you know, his wife was called Rebecca, and that's the truth, and we can say that that's the truth. It's not it's public knowledge. But anything else personal, her voice, we had something with her speaking and it was just like, wow, this is great. And then it was like, even Amelia said, yeah, it's too, you know, we really want to make the film and not have any fights on our hands with anything. So sure. we had to take it out. Yeah. Well, let's talk about I Still Breathe. Uh, I know that it just blew me away and you and Marie as yeah, well. Amazing. First of all, where can people see this amazing film? Sky Art Still. And I think it's going on to Amazon as well. Um, so Sky Arts, you can see, I th and net, not Netflix, is Sky Arts and Amazon and Apple. You can see the Gregory Porter and Jim Marshall. But I still believe I think it's still on just Sky Arts for the moment, but I think it's moving on to Amazon as well. Right. So tell us about this film. So we all know what happened with... Um, oh, it's a journey, that film as well. It's a, and I'll try and be as concise as possible because a lot of people got involved who are amazing. Matteo Bengrazzi, the, the DOP, was fantastic mm. and got a really great team together. And I worked with John Warhurst, who was an Oscar-winning sound designer to make that sound. Nicky Brown, uh, the composer. It's funny, Adam was saying, I wanted to do something with, in answer to what happened to George Floyd. But normally I grab my camera and then go to um, 
you know, go to the marches, go to the rallies. And I thought, yeah, I've done that too many times, you know. And I said, Adam, I want to just... How it happened, a friend of mine, Simon, <laughs> Simon who is a music lawyer, um, said to me, um, there's this young talent called Tam, and, um, we, um, you know, we can do... Can you do some photos of him? Because, you know, he every time he tells me something, uh, Simon Long, <laughs> it always turns into this amazing journey. I don't know how Freddie calls me. There's this young man called um, Tam. He's got an amazing voice. And I'll send you some stuff. He said, I said, wow, he's great. Do you want to do some photos of him? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, we could do it at distance. We could do some little story in Soho. And, uh, you know, there's no one around in the streets. It would have looked really cool. Anyway, we get speaking, had a lovely chat, and it was coming up to the weekend. So the Monday morning, I said, hi, Tam, let's arrange to meet up and do this show. I said, what did you do at the weekend? He went, oh, I went to the marches. I said, wow. I said, look, when we meet, I mean, I thought, why don't, do you mind if I just film you talking about it and then we'll do the show? He goes, yeah, it'd be great. And then I said, who did you go with? He said, eight of my friends. I said, would they be willing to talk? Wow. Yeah. Got on a call. They were all happy. And then... <laughs> <laughs> that's when Adam said to me you better do you gotta do this pro you got you gotta really you, you shouldn't film it just do it get build a crew then we got a crew Every, it just everything fell into place um Betty Aldis who is my creative partner in Project 64 and obviously I told you about Modern Film she's a a, a founding partner of that and we that was our first film together and she's amazing Canadian as well hey. <laughs> so uh, can I just jump in and say for those who have not so seen I Still Breathe tell people just briefly what's in the film uh, amazing faces amazing thoughts inspiring people I got well we got some people together and I want to thank uh, Battersea Arts Centre because they had some mm. alumni of the young ladies who because some of the kids dropped out and then they said we got some people we'd love to be on board with your project we'd help you they let us have the space for basically nothing Brilliant. To film it, and it's an incredible venue. These are um, young people of color talking about what happened in the world, where they see themselves in the world, and I didn't want it to be a hate fest. I said I always wanted it to be. There is hope mm. somewhere, some you know, in it, but I wanted them to feel that they can speak without being, they can be candid without any rancor. They can just be themselves, and I think that's what we did. And the people who performed. Lisa and Dak, they were great, who were dancing. They were doing the same thing in their movements. Because yes. if you look at Dak's movements, those are all movements of people who have been, and Lisa's, those are replicating things in film. Right. Lynchings, the positions, and the way that they move themselves, and they're hanging up, and then the freedom bits. And then Lisa on the ground, you know, oh, it was, it's, you know, they really dug deep. And even the use of Battersea Art Centre, you know, that recently resurfaced from the ashes of the fire. The walls are incredible. Yeah. So it looks like a Jackson Pollock, the whole building, yeah. because the architects who have redesigned that building were so clever. What they did was they they didn't shy away from the damage of the building. They used that as part of the new design. Hmm. And when we went for the little recce there, um, ah, Beth Cinnamon, who was the associate producer, knew them and Tavasiva Dance, because I've worked with a lot. I've done lots of photographs for Tavasiva Dance Company, who are fantastic. They'd already had dealings with them for something else, and they, we went down there and they we sent them a stuff and they were on board with it. So um, they let us have that space for... Uh, we wanted it for two days, we couldn't, but that's another story. But it was incredible. Getting these young people down to be open mm. and to be... 
It's really funny, they kept asking me when they showed up. We had a lot of real COVID safe situation. It was all run like a real amazing um, operation. So they'd drive and they'd have their masks, the temperature, going there. There's, there's a, it's big enough that so they had a little holding area to so have their lunch. And every day they all kept asking me, so do you have the questions? I said, yep. They said, are you going to tell me? I went, nope. <laughs> <laughs> You'd make a great radio presenter. That is, that is a trick. Don't let them know the questions. <laughs> yeah. It's back to authentic voices again, though. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I said, yeah. and I knew one of them in particular, the, you know who, the lady who was crying. Yeah. There, was, yeah. there was a bigger piece about what she was talking about. And she... She's just recent, a recent mum, and I asked her a question. I can say it's not a spoiler. I said, mm. how will you protect your son when he grows mm. up being a single mum? And then she, she just broke her. Yeah. And I think, and I th that came straight away. I remember telling to me afterwards and the guys and the crew were like, that was a bit hard, Alfred. I said, no, it wasn't hard, it was right. She's a single mum of a young black boy. And what will happen if she come, he comes home one day, he's been beaten up or, he gets arrested or she's watching the news and someone she hears third hand that someone's filmed your son being killed or is his last breath as one of the um, interviewers said yeah. you find out about that through social media hmm. and as one of them said as well um, she said isn't it funny how you can show people being killed but you can't have cats dogs and you can't even show nipples but you can show someone's last breath where is the sense in that Instagram? Where is the sense in that all these um, people? It, it doesn't make any rational sense. I mean, it's an issue that that um, that we've heard about a lot. Of people talking about parents of color having to have the talk with their children, especially young men, about how to address the police who might decide to put their knee on your neck until you die, uh, or as we've seen in the UK. Yeah. I was down in Brixton the other day seeing them seeing the monument to Cherry Gross. Yeah. You know, that it's all around us. Yeah. It, that must be, uh, um, because it's an issue that people are forced to confront. Yeah. It, it, it must have been something that you thought you would want to have in the film. Did you know that, d did you know what you would get? Did you know if it would ring true? Did you know if you could present it in a way that, that would make someone like me who, doesn't have to think about that. Well, we're not going to spoil how it opens. But mm. uh, Matteo and I, we always knew we were going to have an opening like that. Right. And we always knew how we were going to have the ending, which is hopeful without giving anything mm -hmm. away. Um, I just wanted them to be honest. And I think when you get honest interviews like that, which are not doctored, which is just them speaking their minds yeah. and, and giving you their true feelings, and even leaving one of the viewers speaking her native language is French, because she's yeah, French. That's I, that was a conscious decision. And she said, in French? I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, oh, great. I didn't want her to stumble on words. Yeah. Mm. Let her speak her truth in her own language, in her native language, so she wouldn't have to worry about, oh, what's the word for in English? You know, no, no, no. And she just gives a, delivers her what she felt about what was going on in the world for her growing up in Paris and then, you know, living in London now. And, yeah. It was obviously very timely in some ways. A lot of a lot of. Um, I don't think I answered uh, your question properly. No, that's okay. Um, how do you how do you know that something is timeless as well as time bound? Because of course it's topical. There have been lots of little well-meaning TV segments about about. And they're always Black showing Lives really Matter late and, at night. Have you noticed yeah. that? 
where <laughs> their scheduling is like like eleven thirty or twelve, and most people, even young, are out or they don't see it, they don't catch yeah. it. You need to have these things at a, re- a time when all is for everybody, not just the black community, not just for the Indian, not for the Chinese, yeah. not for the English, whatever you want to say. It's for all communities. The thing is, you're meant to be trying to get people together. That's what I believe. Mm. And without um, without putting it on at a time when pe- everybody can see it, I think it's it's wrong. Do you think TV is the medium to reach people? Should you be making short Instagram films? Yes, is the answer. And we have to work with modern technology, and I love modern technology, and I think that it's it's, you know... Don't shy away from it. It's like that whole thing about Jim hated digital photography. See, yeah. Excuse me, going back to I didn't mean to reverse, no, but no, no. It, it makes a point. He 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 saw that even if you democratize photography, like iPhones and Apple have done that, and there's nothing wrong in that. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. And there are people who call themselves photographers and they're not. And they're using filters and techniques, which basically is what Jim would shoot. It's what Diane Arbus, it's what, um, you name it, Henri Cartier-Bresson. This, this goes on. Those guys worked for it, and they earned the right to be where they are, you know, the top canons of what they do. Um, do you shoot digitally? Yeah, because I, I, I think it's fantastic. What I love with the film is it's immediate. If though. We'll go back to that, but it's the fact that if you and I, all the three of us were here and we were doing something, you can look at it now. Was that take? Good, let's have a look. We did it in I Still Breathe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come, let's go again. And I said, no, no, can we say that again? And then they, not their interview parts, there's something, the performance bits that we, we just, there's a couple of things. And that opening scene, the dialogue wasn't there at first when we did the first take. Right. And we stopped and we just said, so I went to, and it came into my head, say this, 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 and this, and then Betty said, and also bring that word in. I was like, right, that's it, and let's go for it. And he did a few runs twice, second take. And that's the thing you immediately see. That's why I love digital, and you embrace it and you use it. It's a tool. Sometimes you shoot stuff, you can't tell if it's film or digital now. It's so beautiful. The technology's there, and using vintage lenses with modern technology gives you that feel. And there are lots of techniques that are being used now, which a friend of mine actually I spoke to you on Friday. She works literally around the corner in one of the um, post grading houses. We are houses. in Soho. <laughs> we are. <laughs> so there's a new technique where you scan, you film, and then you re-scan the negative of... You, you scan it back to a negative, so you get that film. It looks so filmic. I would love to keep you here forever. What I'd like to do, I, I know we said we were going to let you go in a minute, but let's <laughs> let's let's hear Ultima yeah. by Ian Arbor from the soundtrack. And will you join Anne-Marie at the end, um, just as we're wrapping up? Because we want to hear what you're up to next. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It was great yeah. to hear about I Still Breathe. No, so, no, no. Thank you so much. And this is from the soundtrack to your amazing by Jim Ian Marshall Arbor. film, yeah, composed. Show Me the Picture. Let's hear the music. So that was Altamont, the track by Ian Arbor and recorded by the um, Budapest Philharmonic Orchestra. This was used as a soundtrack to the incredible um, biopic that um, our guest this afternoon, Alfred George Bailey, put together. Wonderful film. Show me the picture, Jim Marshall. It's a great title. Did that come about at the end? 
do you know what? It's really funny about that title. I'll be really quick because of time. I remember we were all sitting. We were in an offices where we're not far from here, and I, the film had a different title. And then they, they, it came out, and I was like, I was really a bit like, I got a bit spoiled, Charlie. Like, I don't like that title. <laughs> and they were just like, listen, Alfred, da 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 da. And I said, oh, I'll think about it. And I got very little kiddie, you know, with my toys out of the pram. It was your like, film, though. Come on. I mean, no, it's, it's, you know what? It's, it's I, I think, I hear your point, but you know what? I, I Yes, it is. And also, it's it was a, an effort of people who were amazing. And it's really funny. Um, the sound designer George George Falgum is an incredible BAFTA winner, and then everybody and Tom, you know, Verstappen, um, everybody involved who gave of themselves, they really gave a hundred percent. You know, you can't give more than that, but they gave a lot, and they went over and above to to, and it shows in the film. I think. Yeah. Do you know there's sixteen hundred cuts in that film? Whoa. So I'd, I'd nearly had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> yeah, your editor gets the purple heart. He, I mean. he deserves, yeah, he deserves the purple heart for that one. You know. So now you've done this, you know, award-winning lockdown project. I still breathe. What's next for you? Well, Betty and I, um, with our company, Project Sixty Four, have uh, quite a few um, films on our slate. So. Uh, in different stages of production, but one of them which has come is going to be a proper biopic, which will be uh, an acted film about the life of Screaming Jay Hawkins. Wow. What I will do want to say is it's not going to be presented in any way like an ordinary biopic. All I can say is it will feel more like an opera. Wow, That's wow, all incredible. I can say. Okay, going down a different route from the norm. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, but we have a really wonderful. We have a really wonderful. Um, um, uh, there are. There, there's going to be some great things, and maybe at some point we can talk about when things are not uh, under lockdown in terms of what we can say. Mm. But that's one of the projects that I'm really excited about. And then also, I've been up. I've been offered a really massive film, which unfortunately I can't talk about. But it'll be shot in LA. Wow. It'll be. A, coined a phrase it'll be a musical documentary right okay well do come back and talk to us about that we'd uh, love to hear about it I think I have to because uh -huh. I think you're going to enjoy that one I'll tell you about it off, uh, off okay. record okay. alright sorry guys but we will hear about it later okay. I mean we've got a couple of minutes there were a couple more things I wanted to ask sure. you about I Still Breathe yeah um, uh, I know that the people in it came together organically, but for those who haven't seen it, tell us a little bit about those young people. Mm -hmm. The you know, they're dancers, performers. Um. Well, one of the things is really great. You asked that question because what one of the things I didn't want to put their names on the right. And some people said, "Have you?" I remember we at the post house. I said, "When we were sending it through to Sky, they said, is that is this a, a fault?' Because they thought there'd be names. I said, "No." I don't want to make any presumptions if somebody said I'm an artist. Right. So you look at their name and I paint or I'm a this or mm. I'm a that, I do tattoos, right. I do this, and they'll be like, oh yeah. I wanted to make it like a film where you just hear someone speaking then you say, you know, who appeared in order of appearance. And just listen to them, don't be distracted by any labels. Um, so those, those talented people were painters, singers, dancers, um, tattoo artists really a creative bunch so one of the guys uh, Felix who is the um, um, the young 
the young white kid who was oh, mm. do you know he was the runner and he was so moved he he so the daughter of the um, of the associate producer uh, Beth her daughter her daughter Mia said my fr- my friend Felix he came and he was such a sweetheart he was a darling and he said that he, he wants to talk and I said to Mateo and the guys uh, how time have we got they went uh I said, Felix wants to talk. He goes, yeah, he goes, we're ahead, we're ahead. That's a hard decision because mm. it's, a, it's a film about the voices of young people of colour. We always yeah. hear from white people. Did you ever think, well, Felix is a nice guy, but no, this isn't your space? No, he's a kid who needed to talk. And he was sincere. He's got nothing to do with his colour at all. And I looked at, he looked at me and I looked at his eyes. I thought, yeah, I'm going to tell you, yeah, we got, he said, do we have to move anything? He said, no, we're right, right, <laughs> yep, let's do it now. And that's how you have to work sometimes. You have to be immediate because, and his interview all those interviews are much larger than you see. Right. But we had to get mm. boil it down and, and, and say. Yeah. yeah, the film's edited by an amazing woman, Ense. She's fantastic, you know, and she, we, we cut that, she cut that film, so she was efficient. I remember being in the edit and she goes, uh, I was there the first day and she was like, uh, it was like, you know, t- four hours in and it was like, it was only like coming up to like lunchtime. She goes, okay, um, you can go now, I'll see you tomorrow. I was like, <laughs> I spoke to Betty, I called, I said, I've just been kicked out at the end. She was laughing. I was like, I just got kicked out because uh, she wanted to take it, wrestle with it, and then I wanted her to put her touch on it. And it it had to be a woman who edited that film. I knew it. Ah. All right, sister. I just wanted to say, you know, can you tell us more about how dance was used to translate what was happening in in the film? Yeah. So all the performers, we only... um, uh, Harriet Elizabeth Waghorn, who is a, she's a friend and an amazing choreographer. She worked with Dak, the, the male um, dancer, and we. She asked me what I wanted, and I said, if we can interpret some of the things that have happened historically with the positioning and and how he moves his body uh, in terms of being like you know lynched or or hung up or mm. strung, and he moved his body in certain ways. And she really did the choreography that morning, that day, and then he did the performance, and he was great. So that the thing, and then with uh, Lisa, I said, Lisa, I just want you to interpret and bring... Uh, Lisa Rowley was fantastic as well, and she's also a, chore- a choreographer and dancer in her own right. And she brought to the table her, because remember, Dak is a black gay man, and Lisa's a gay female who also is of mixed heritage. So, you know, it was really great to have them on board. And then she put her feelings into it and all those positioning and all the stuff that she did in the film. They all meant something to them as individuals. So they're actually speaking, but through their, for their movement. Yeah, it's really powerful. Absolutely. It's been so great having you in the studio today. For those of you who have, for some reason, just joined us, don't forget the magical of digital radio is that you can listen back to our latest dock and roll um, radio program. We have had a very great honour of having a pretty, pretty good photographer and filmmaker in the studio today, Alfred George Bailey, talking to us about his two amazing uh, films, about Jim Marshall and about Gregory Porter and his latest project, I Still Breathe, and some things coming up that he's not going to tell us about on air, but we've already extracted a promise that he will come back and speak to us again. Am I right? <laughs> You're absolutely right. I think you, um, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about those. Um, we're going to leave with um, another choice from Anne-Marie. Yeah, we're heading back out on the Soho streets with another incredible female voice. That is, of course, Aretha Franklin. But we're doing her disco phase with uh, Get It Right. <laughs> 
That's a track. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. No, listen, Thanks. this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks.